Hello, friends. Hello, 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 friends. A tradition unlike any other. Oh, 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 oh my goodness. In your life have you seen anything like that? There it is. Adam Scott, a life changer. Mashed potato. Here it, here it, here it. Here it comes. The team at Cobra Golf are set to introduce additions to its collection of king putters, making the offerings available in a sleek black colorway, the perfect complement to the limited edition black LTDX drivers and king black wedges. The lineup of black putters includes both king 3D printed and king vintage series models, along with two new mallet styles, the king Cuda and Cuda 40. All King Collection putters come standard with the Cobra Superstroke Traction Tour 2.0 grip and KBS Tour 120 shaft. The new additions to the King 3D printed and vintage series will be available from July this year. For more information on the entire King family of products, visit cobragolf.com. This is the 19th tee, Kieran Marsh, Nathan Drudy, back with you in Major Week. Drudy, it's a pleasure to have your company as Always, as we stare down the barrel of one of the four major men's tournaments of the calendar year. Yes, pleased to be back. Another major, uh, always a highlight on the calendar because we get to dive a little bit deeper and put our uh, tips forward. I think that's my favourite part where we make some predictions for a change instead of talking about what has happened. We do speak, of course, of the 123rd US Open uh, set to get underway Thursday American time, late Thursday evening Australian time, the North Course Los Angeles Country Club. Uh, we'll get to that in just a moment, but uh, speaking off air, as they say in the biz, uh, before we hit the record button, uh, we flagged it would be remiss of us not to just briefly mention uh, the episode we did with our good friend Jimmy Emanuel uh, on the news of the merger between Mm. the PGA Tour and the Public Investment Fund of Saudi Arabia seems like five years ago, Drew, mm. at this point in time, because so much has happened in that space in the time since. Um, and, and we do intend probably next week to maybe just sit down again and do a bit of a where we at type podcast. Uh, we mm. do feel it's relevant to wait that amount of time, not only to give uh, one of the four majors its right focus, but also because things are changing literally by the day. So it yeah. would almost seem redundant to do something now, uh, given we could be in an entirely new place literally seven days from now. But just mm. to mm. briefly recap on what we know has happened in the time since we first spoke about it with Jimmy Emanuel, we know that Jimmy Dunn, who's one of the power brokers from the PGA Tour side, who is the man who, in fact, informed Rory McIlroy of the deal uh, mm-hmm. about three hours out from the announcement on CNBC and one of the board members of this new company, yet to be named. <laughs> we know Jimmy Dunn um, went on the record publicly to say that essentially the PGA Tour were in a position of strength, that they struck while the iron was hot and that they will be the controlling voice in this moving forward. Uh, did his very best to, to dissuade the notion that the PGA Tour had sold golf to Saudi Arabia. Mm. Um, not concurrently, it certainly wasn't happening at the same time, but very similar timeline. Jay Monaghan was addressing PGA Tour staff internally, uh, walking them through a town hall, if you like. I'm sure many of our <laughs> listeners who work in organizations around the country have these sorts of town halls with their mm. CEO or or similar other. Uh, and Jay, Jay addressing the staff at PGA Tour headquarters uh, suggested uh, by way of a number of reports that have leaked in the time since that the model uh, of the elevated event purses 
uh, combined with the legal fees that they were bleeding was mm. unsustainable financially mm. for the PGA Tour and that this was a necessary move to ensure the future of the PGA Tour. So those two things are at loggerheads. Yes. You've got one power broker saying it was a position of strength. You've got the uh, PGA Tour current CEO and the CEO of this new company saying it was out of necessity, <laughs> essentially. Marry that up with the fact you've got players from both sides of the equation, so players who have remained on the PGA Tour as well as players who've moved to live, turning up at the LA Country Club uh, in the last 24 to 48 hours doing pre-tournament media, yep. echoing the same sentiment. And that is essentially, we have no idea what is going on. Mm-hmm. We've not been informed. Uh, we've not been communicated with since. We have zero, like we know as much as what you guys do. In fact, you and the media probably know more than what yeah. we do. And that is, that's been said by Cam Smith on the live side, Joaquin Neiman on the live side, Matt Fitzpatrick on the PGA Tour side. The consistent message to the players is, we are in the dark. Uh, yes. <laughs> and then the last little piece I think is worth mentioning is that in the last, literally in the last 12 hours, there has been, and we're recording this on Tuesday evening, Australian time, there has been a US Senate investigation mm-hmm. <clears throat> launched by uh, Senator Richard Blumenthal, who is a Democratic senator from Connecticut, and he has launched a Senate investigation into the legality of this new merger between the parties, which uh, my understanding of Senate inquiries and Senate investigations and the powers that they yield doesn't spell great news uh, for either side, I wouldn't have thought. So just wanted to flag that. Mm. Don't want to take really any attention away from the US Open, but just wanted to flag it to say, we're not heads in the sand. We didn't record an episode last week and, and forget that this thing is on or don't care, nor do we think it's appropriate to continue to update you on a 48-hour periodical basis because things are moving, mm. and so we want to give it time enough to breathe. But that should illustrate to you that literally in the five or six days since, so much has already happened. Mm. We said it last week. We're so early in this, Drews, and there's plenty of water to run under the bridge. Uh, but remarkable scenes as we head into the third uh, men's major of the year. Yeah. I mean, uh, there is, there's so much that has happened and there's so much that that's still to come in all of it. I mean, you don't, I think that the biggest thing at the minute is there is so much conflicting information out there. There's so much information just in general out there. So it's hard to know actually what to believe and, and what not to believe. Um, a lot of the stuff that has has come out in terms of, you know, if the PGA Tour was in financial trouble in terms of the uh, court proceedings and the elevated purses that you mentioned there, goes in the face of everything that Joe Monaghan said for 18 months of, you know, that we are in a very strong financial position, we can do this, we've got the money, goes in the face of Phil Mickelson believing that they were sitting on $20 billion of royalties, the NFTs. Going back two years, there's just so much conflicting information. And um, uh, I think, you know, to use your point there, we are so very early in this. And and um, it will continue to be a a dominating talking point in the golfing world. I know it, it's it's crazy that we are in a men's major week and, and still the most common narrative is around this merger. And, and I think, you know, that's obviously it's the biggest story, arguably, in in the history of golf in terms of it's it's going to shape the next 
it's going to shape the next frontier of what men's professional golf looks like. So it's rightfully getting the attention, but in a major week, it's, uh, there's always just a little tinge of sadness that we, that the, we and the golf media have so much attention on it when really we should be talking about, uh, the U S open and, um, what's going to be a fantastic tournament and, and hopefully, uh, the golf media who drive their narrative, uh, We'll focus on the golf for this week, which would be nice because I can't deal with any more information on my Twitter feed about this because every second tweet is contradictory to the tweet that's just above it. So it's hard to know what to believe, Marshy. So we will revert back to it next week, but I mm. think that's enough for now. Let's yep. talk shop. Let's talk about uh, what should be our focus for this week, and that is, as I said the 123rd US Men's Open Championship from the North Course at the LA Country Club. Drids, there's so much to cover um, this evening, not least of which running through the seven Australians in the field, not least of which running through our tips, as we generally do around a preview, um, not least of which getting your weather report, which I know most people who <laughs> tune into these major previews, it is the blue ribboned section of the major previews is the long range weather forecast. Um, but where I want to start is the course itself, because you and I, uh, as we generally do, had a brief chat before hitting the record button. And I said to you, which you fervently agreed with uh, mm. by a rigorous nodding of your head. Uh, I said, I'm as excited for this major as I have been probably um, uh, since, since Kiowa. Mm-hmm. And that is that is down to the quirkiness of the course. So if you take out Augusta where we play every year and you accept the fact um, widely that the Open Championship is, is my second and potentially your favourite uh, major championship of the year because of the style of golf we get in the United Kingdom, really then my level of engagement revolves around the challenge presented by the course or the host venue for PGA championships and U S opens. And what we are served this week in, in, in my humble opinion will present, I think one of the more memorable championships, at least in the time that we've been recording this podcast and, and probably in my time supporting golf. And I say that without a ball being hit in earnest. And I say that purely by taking a look at the North course of the LA country club, just your immediate thoughts on, on where we're at um, in terms of lobbing into 300 acres in uh, Midwest, Los Angeles, some of the most prime golfing real estate literally Mm. on the planet. Well, I think it's some of the most prime real estate more broadly. I'm sure there's some developer out there that would like to bowl this over and put apartments on it and, expand LA even more than what it is already expanded. Uh, no, I think you're, you're right. Um, you know, I did have a good look at this course and um, it was hard because it is kind of leads into the tips as well, that it was, it was hard to kind of get a read on what or who mm, is going to play yeah. well here because there, there hasn't been a tournament here since world war two times. Right. So we're, we're, we're going in blind. She oh, is what we're doing. Mm. But I think when you look back at some of the courses that US Opens have hosted in the past couple of years, the Country Club Brookline was great and we we really enjoyed going there. I think Tory we obviously see every year anyway because it's on the rotor um, for the PGA Tour. Winged Foot was, was one that I remember we did a, a deep dive into and, and enjoyed that history. And then going back to 
Pebble, which we've discussed as well. Shinnecock, I think, is one that stands out. So in the last five years, there's really only one of those courses that you can go, wow, this is – I don't know a lot about this, but this you can see that this is going to be a very, very interesting and tough course. And I think LA Country Club can now fit into that uh, category alongside Shinnecock is one that I'm probably looking forward to more than most. There's been some great stuff out on YouTube. As you, as you mentioned, you've probably digested more of it than I have. I've seen bits and pieces and, and you know, did a bit of research a, a little while back on, on LA Country Club. But I think the challenge that it presents some of the players is going to be a lot different to what perhaps normal US Opens present uh, in terms that they may not just be able to step up and bully it. Um, it's going to be a fascinating watch to see who can pick it apart the best because I think that's the person who's going to win it, is the person who's able to strategically stand on a tee box and be dictated to by in position and then how do I get my ball in that hole as quickly as possible in some cases and just get the fuck out of there because that is, you know, par is almost irrelevant in a lot of these things. So the the course itself, I mean, I don't want to do an 18-hole run-through. I mean, we absolutely could because there's some <laughs> amazing holes on there. I think the stretch, you know, the, the, for me, I wrote some notes down on, on this throughout the last little while knowing that this was coming up. I think that the stretch of five through seven is one that I'm really looking forward to. Um, you know, big sloping fairways. Six is obviously just a, a bizarre hole that, you know, probably if it was designed this this time, you know, people would lose their minds, right? Like I consider that almost so, uh, yeah. I was just going to say, but six may be the most unique golf hole we've seen in men's major championships since some time. Yeah. It, it is unlike anything. So there'll be there'll be a bunch of people who listen to this who will seek content out prior. Mm-hmm. Uh, you mentioned some of the stuff that I've watched. I'd highly recommend. Um, there's a great video by Golf Digest, uh, voiced over by their architect editor that goes hole by hole with flyovers. It's excellent. The Fried Egg have done a similar piece uh, on their YouTube channel. I'd highly recommend. Uh, I found it beneficial the last couple of major championships away from Augusta because I find it enhances my viewing experience to take a little bit of a look at the course prior. For the people who go in blind, I also am a little envious of you because you will lay your eyes on six for the first time and think, what am I looking at? Mm-hmm. Truly, mm-hmm. what am I looking at here? So, yeah, six is a remarkable hole. Mm. It reminds me a little of the Dell at La Hinch, just in the way that it's kind of set up. Like, it, it's, I mean, you can go for the green. There's a, there is no doubt you can absolutely go for the green, but you've got to be so precise. And if it's going to be as firm and fast as what everyone's sort of expecting, then I think you're probably going to have a fairly tough time trying to hold hold that green. So I think that sort of five through seven um, range, I guess for me, is is something that really excites me. And then of course, you know, there's there's the the eleventh hole has got a lot of attention this week. I mean, there's been reports that it's going to play at two hundred ninety yards as a par three, which is enormous. So I'm I'm fascinated by what the LA Country Club is going to throw up. I think. Um, you know, I watched a little bit of content. I haven't watched um, those ones that you mentioned. I should have probably done that. That would have been good research. But I have seen people play it before on YouTube, and and I am really interested to see 
how professionals and like the, the peak people in the game go about playing this. So yeah, fascinating for me. Yeah, I think so there's a couple of things for me to pull apart there uh that you've that you've kind of touched on. So I think first and foremost, normal rules don't necessarily apply in my mind this week. And I think that's why you, you alluded to it and it certainly had an influence on my tips. Maybe a few of the data points that we'd often look at. I don't necessarily think you you can transplant into the North Course, the LA Country Club simply. Mm-hmm. So that that's fascinating in and of itself. I think there will be players, and I'm I'm intrigued to see who who falls inside this group. I think there will be players in the first few days who do try to bully the course, but I truly do believe that it will become a mind over matter. Pure brawn is not going to win this tournament. Mm. You are going to have to think your way through, and it's probably going to come down to the players that accept imperfection. Like you are, you are going to hit. Good shots. So even if you're able to think your way through the challenges that it presents on face value, the head of the USGA has come out this morning and said, if we get the conditions to where we want it to be come Thursday morning US time, genuinely the ball will hit the ground in places on this property and you will not know where it will go. Mm. So you're still you're going to have situations where you hit good shots and get punished. Yep. So I think it's going to come down to the, those who can accept that you're not always going to get the result you warranted mm. and scramble and play well at that point will really start to separate themselves. It is just such a unique property, Druids. There are uh, countless blocks, which we don't see an awful lot. Um, we, well, we really never see on the PGA Tour uh, a blind tee shot. We rarely see it in major championship golf as well. Seven of the nine holes on the first nine are littered with um, what they call, in, in local jargon, barrancas. We mm. just refer to them as dry riverbeds that mm. have been overgrown, um, you know, with a little bit of fauna. Uh, sorry, flora, not fauna. There's no animals in there. It's, <laughs> it's just the flora. Um, but they present... Uh, a challenge because they they are a genuine hazard. If they were purely dry, it's probably pretty easy to hit out of, but they are overgrown now. And and they weave their way through seven of the first nine holes. You've got incredibly sloped fairways that you've referred to, literally like the ball will be completely below your feet or above it, depending on where you land. It Yeah, it's just, it's not a challenge that many of these players are presented with often. So the the complete uh, newness, for want of a better term, of people like, don't be surprised to see so many blokes getting there in, in which we've seen already to get practice rounds under their belt because they haven't seen a challenge like this. Just a few little um, nuances around the course itself. So uh, George Thomas was the original architect in the twenties. Uh, he has another two courses in the LA area. For people who may know uh, the Bel Air Country Club and one of our other favourites, Riviera, where they play the Genesis or the LA Open every single year. So that might give you, even Riviera, might give you a little bit of an Easter egg indication of what's to come at the LA Country Club. Uh, Most recently renovated by Gil Hance. That started in 2008. It was still going. Parts of it were going um, in the last uh, year or two, but the most significant work was almost a complete reconstruction, 2009, 2010. Um, so George Thomas, fairly handy. Gil Hans, arguably the best modern-day architect of our time. Uh, 
Um, it's the first time in 75 years we've been in LA for a US Open, which is remarkable. West Coast US Opens aren't uncommon. Tory you've mentioned, Pebble you've mentioned. But the first time we've been in the second largest media market in the United States for 75 years for a US Open. The last one was 1948, Ben Hogan won at Riviera. Um, it's also only um, the first, uh, I think, the first US Open course with five par threes since 1947, I believe, which was at St. Louis. So just some unique stuff going on. There's five par threes, five par fives. There's a, there's just a lot happening that mm. I think if you let yourself, if you can, because it's a, it's a tough watch whether you're staying up late or getting up early, but really immerse yourself in these four days of this tournament because I think it will be highly enjoyable from a viewing experience. It will. It, it certainly will. And I think it's probably going to be a lot different in terms of major venues than what people might be expecting because normally we see the the very prim and proper um venues at uh, even at even at the pga we kind of just saw it a little bit but um I, I think sort of just dovetailing into our tips a little here but also on the course really interestingly this is not necessarily a putters course so you can be I'm going to put in air quotations here, mediocre at putting. So the, I was looking today that the, the average ranking, strokes gained average ranking of winners um, in in the last four years, they've been ranked 20th, 2021, which is really interesting because normally your, your strokes gained putting is a pretty good indication. Where it does highlight uh, players and players kind of highlight um, themselves is strokes gained tee to green ranking somewhere around three to four. So you, that narrows the field down very quickly. There's no players that fit all of these, of course, but um, I think, you know, that's a, a pretty interesting thing to note that it's not all about the putting. Um, and once you get to the greens, that players might sort of, the, the strokes gain differential might not be as wide as what we particularly see in normal majors, but getting the ball to the green, it's going to be fucking hard work. And that's going to be really interesting to watch for me because a lot of balls are going to collect in very similar places. Wouldn't be surprised if there's lots of balls in other divots, other, you know, ball marks, et cetera. So it's going to be a, a really fascinating one to watch. I'm, as I said, I'm looking forward to seeing how the pinnacle of golf, the golf players actually go out and take this course on because I've watched amateurs play it. We obviously play it very, very differently to how the professionals play it. So yeah, I, I'm, genuinely excited for this i think you know to your point at the top of the show this is probably one that i've had circled for a little while and i'm I'm very very much looking forward to it just a few more tidbits on the course itself before we uh move probably into your weather forecast because mm-hmm. that'll be the most natural segue i think um what makes it great in my mind is uh, <laughs> This is an opinion purely based on watching a couple of flyovers. I certainly haven't walked it or played it for that matter, but there's a lot of uh, half par holes. And by that, I mean par fours that pay probably four and a half or inversely fives that probably play four and a half or even five and a half. And that is often the measure of a great course because it forces decisions. Uh, and decisions that aren't often had to be made week in, week out on the PGA Tour. I think, and we'll kind of transition more into it when we get into our tips, but there's going to be a lot of players 
hitting clubs they're not used to hitting. Mm-hmm. Plain and simple, which I think will be intriguing to watch. I'm also fascinated to see the Venn diagram of players who have said there's no need to roll back the ball and the players who'll come out and complain about this course. Mm. Because to your point, there are holes like uh, the 11th. Now, the sign says 290 yards. Um, reports from on the ground, the practice round, looks like it's probably going to play more 250, 255. Still long for a par three. But okay. I like Can I just say there's going to be players. I was just going to say, I actually really like that because 290 almost stretches it out to like three wood territory. Like, I want to see guys hitting three irons into this. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'd rather that sort of 240, 250. Sorry. Yeah, absolutely right. Because it, it, it it's going to be harder to stop the ball, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, particularly if the conditions are where the USGA is trying to get them to. Mm-hmm. But I've got no doubt. I've got no doubt that there will be a, a great Venn diagram crossover of players we've seen at the forefront of the anti-rollback debate. And he'll say that, that some of these holes are they've lost control of the course. It's too mm. long. It's ridiculous. And I can't wait to watch that small group of players contradict themselves mm. in the coming days. It's going to be something I look forward to a lot. Um, I think there's a lot of stats that I've got here in front of me. I think I'll probably weave the remainder through uh, the the rest of the conversation around mm-hmm. tips themselves. Um, but I think probably just two more um, stats-wise. So... This is the fifteenth uh, U.S. Open and the twentieth major played in the state of California. So, as I mentioned, the first time in seventy-five years we're in LA, but playing West Coast U.S. Opens is not uncommon. Of those twentieth uh, majors played in California, only foreigners to win: uh, Northern Ireland's Graham McDowell, twenty ten at Pebble Beach; John Rahm, twenty one at Torrey, and our very own Steve Elkington the 1995 PGA Championship at Riviera. So not sure if that's going to form or influence your tips, but it seems as though uh, Americans do well Mm. at West Coast majors. (laughs) The only thing I wanted to flag, do you know who owns the course record of the North Course, the LA Country Club? No, I actually don't. It's a 61. It was set... In 2013, okay, by Max Homer. Right, interesting. There you go. Pre- previously, it was a 62. Previously, a 62 set by Patrick Cantlay. So there's a couple of players in this field this week who play this course at least historically very very well. Yeah, but one of them's Patrick Cantlay, and he sucks. Just in general, sucks. Like anyway, just, just some interesting, <laughs> just some interesting tidbits around the course. And Thank you. <laughs> I think um, I'm of the firm opinion before we've even hit a ball in earnest in round one that when we reflect on uh, Monday evening, that we will have a, a champion, sure, but the winner of the 123rd US Open will be the North Course at the LA Country Club. Mm. Yep, be very cool to watch. I'm pumped. I'm very pumped for this, Marshy. Very, very pumped. You want me to deliver my weather report? Now, please do. It's short. Um, it's benign. It's it's going to be very very lame weather wise. I can't nothing to report. Twenty one to twenty three across all three days. Very very minimal chance of rain and winds around sort of eight to nine kilometers an hour. Going to be 
beautiful weather for major golf. I think that will help uh, in terms of drying out the course. Well, not drying out, but well, yeah, drying out's the right word uh, and making it firmer and faster. So that'll be um, that's probably the perfect conditions that the USGA want here. So that is my weather report. There is nothing too much to report day by day, which is what normally happens here. So there you go, twenty-one to twenty-three across all four days. That's good, mate. That's what we want. I mean, I think I kind of alluded to it at the beginning. The USGA certainly have a plan in mind for what they want to see. Mm. Uh, a couple of puzzle pieces have to fall in place. The weather is one mm. one of them. However, it it appears as though they're going to. Yes. Um, so that's good. Good news. Um, Australians, maybe we should start there. Yes. In terms of Aussies in the field. So we've got seven is my mm. understanding. Yes, we do. And without referring to the sheet of paper, let me see if I can rattle them off. The I've top got of them my here, head. so I'll tick them off. Uh, Go. Wonderful. You'd suggest the contingent is led by, in terms of chances, mm-hmm. is led by Cameron Smith. Um, it's an interesting conversation, which I think we should have in a moment, only because you you simply ponder for how much longer we will say that sentence, i.e. he leads the chances, mm. based on... Previous results as mm-hmm. opposed to current form. And as the uh, as the superannuation fund say, Drew's past performance is not an indicator of future performance. <laughs> so we'll just, we'll keep, we'll bear that in mind as we move through. Uh, Smithy is joined by Adam Scott. Yes. Uh, that's two. Jason Day. Yes. That's three. Minwoo Lee. Yes. That's four. Cameron Davis. Yes. That's five. I know. For a fact that uh, Carl Phillips, yes, is in the field, uh, the Stanford collegiate player who qualified mm-hmm. via sectionals mm-hmm. uh, recently, which leaves me at six, and potentially with a bit of egg on my face because Lucas Herbert, of course, the ears, Herbie, yes. fantastic, yes, wonderful to see. So that's our Australian contingent. Yes. Uh, look, it's funny you say that past performance is not an indicator of future performance because I'm really hoping it is because that's kind of what I've based my tips off. Um, I actually, you know, we, we launched our competition, by the way, today as well, which is a nice segue here on Instagram. If you'd like to head over there, all you need to do is comment uh, the high, who you think will be the highest finishing Aussie, their score, and follow a couple of other instructions on there. That's thanks to our good friends at Oakley. So head over to that and do so. But I think we, sh- well, I think this really sets up well for Minwoo Lee, personally, Marshy. Okay. I, I just That's, it's a conversation I'm I'm happy to hear. Okay, I just think his ball striking is so good. His iron play is so good. And given this, you know, we didn't touch on it in the um. In the course part, but it's very wide. It is a very wide course. So I think the errors that may sneak into his game um, sometimes come on narrow courses. So I'm happy to take Minwoo Lee here. I think he's I think he's a really good option to be the top finishing Aussie. What's the score? Because uh, that For is him? obviously half the half the competition is nominating. Not just the player, but also the score. Of course, closest to without going over is mm. an important stipulation. Uh, I've got him at even par. 
I think the winning score as well, if we want to bundle all of that in, I think the winning score, interestingly, the last three winning scores have been six under. Um, so I, I think it's going to mm. end up sort of around the maybe somewhere between four and seven this time. No idea. Genuine pun. Okay. Could be fucking I've, 20 under. I've, <laughs> I've got the win at uh, eight mm-hmm. under. Uh, but you're saying Minwoo, the the highest finishing strain at even par. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to say, uh, and I did notice we've had some entries already. We should say, because I'm, I'm just conscious of when people may be listening to this. We're recording this Tuesday evening. This will be released uh, most likely Wednesday or Thursday. The, the competition has been launched Tuesday. Mm-hmm. So if you haven't already seen it and entered, make sure you do so before we have the first group off the tee because that's when it becomes null and void. Um, I did see one person, uh, an eager beaver, jump in early and comment mm. um, my tip for highest finishing Aussie, but I did not notice I hadn't actually tagged a friend, which is a critical component. Um, and so, therefore, if we do pick the same score, I may, in fact, just keep the sunglasses because he hasn't tagged someone. <laughs> um, but my, 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 my tip is, in fact, Cameron. Davis. Mm. So I really like what Cam Davis did uh, at the PGA at Oak Hill. Uh, truly, I did. I think the manner in which, I think it was a five under on Sunday, uh, which that that course was difficult, obviously made more difficult by the weather conditions the first two days, but he balled on the weekend, particularly on Sunday, to put himself in a T4, I think is where he finished that tournament. Um, he's had another top 10 this year at the players. So like, likes the big stage, uh, admittedly missed the cut at Augusta, which is not a great look. Um, but, you know, he, he does he does like the big stage and he likes a challenge. So I think, and I, I think that he doesn't necessarily jump out at you in any one category, which I don't think is a bad thing for this course because it's not asking a specific question of one area of your game. So I'm going to say Cam Davis, and I'm going to say minus one. I like it. I like it. So neither of us are saying that the Aussies are getting anywhere near the top of the leaderboard. Yeah, that's what I think. That's what we're saying. <laughs> I think. I think what we're saying is the Australian. Well, the Australians, Australians aren't winning the tournament. Uh, not to say that I don't want them to. I think I take it as red. Um, but I, I, I just don't necessarily think. Like on on face value, you would suggest it suits the game we knew of Cameron Smith to play well. The Cameron Smith who won the Open Championship at St Andrews would love this course. I just don't know if that's the golf that Smithy's playing, mainly because I just don't know what golf he's playing at the moment. So mm. I'm happy to be proven wrong, and I'd 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 welcome that. I'd I'd thrive, but I just think when there's so many other players in the world playing unreal golf and then the ones that we don't see on a week-to-week basis there's others namely brooks kepka who've bucked their heads in the first two majors of the year i just find it hard to invest my emotional and like time and, and and emotional dollars into smithy getting the job done um outside of that like jay day obviously has won recently but i don't necessarily think this is for him. Scotty's probably the one that I think is maybe of of most interest to me. I, I, I could mount a case for Scotty 
particularly in the first 36 holes, being very competitive. So I'd be interested to see if that is, um, yeah, if that if that comes to fruition. But I think for mine, Cam Davis um, will be the highest finishing. I, I do like your Minwoo Lee argument, though. Minwoo has played quite well so far in the majors that he's contested. Uh, would be a big step for him to take, you know, maybe into a top 10, top five. Um, but yeah, he's 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 got the rounded game. It's whether it's the it's the temperament and the consistency across seventy two holes. Agree, agreed. Um, just briefly, Druids, I just I just did want to mention because I stumbled across this from Benny Everill, um, good friend of this podcast. Uh, Benny Everill tweeted uh, early today, Tuesday time, so he's out walking the course, LA Country Club. Um, Colin Swatton, who had previously been on the bag of Jason Day, uh, he'd, he'd secured five US Open top tens, including two runner-ups with Jason Day. He's carrying the sticks for Carl Phillips. Hmm. So Aussie Carl, Koala Carl, <laughs> has uh, engaged the services of what has been a, a highly successful um, caddy on Jason Day's bag previously and Colin Swatton's. So that's a nice little touch. And it would be great to see, obviously, uh, Carl Phillips is, is certainly making waves at, at Stanford, as is that Stanford men's team. They've, mm. they've qualified a number of players as amateurs into this field mm. this week, um, which is probably not unexpected given their proximity on the West Coast. But, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see Carl get his chance and good to see him engage uh, Colin Swatton there as a, a familiar face, certainly when it comes to um, US Opens. Tips. Yeah, where do you want to start? I I think it's always good to start with who won't win. I think it's always yeah. good to <laughs> balls to the wall. Let's just get it out there. Let's see how how brave we've both been willing to be. I'm happy to start, Drew. Mm, please. Um if if you don't mind. So I I'm of the firm opinion. So I am I'm not washy on this i am i'm not half pregnant i'm not one foot in one foot out i'm of the firm opinion that scotty scheffler will not win the 2023 us men's open which is uh ironic many would think because he is in fact the betting favorite uh not that that means a great deal because i think in terms of the market you've got to have one person <laughs> as the shortest prize player and at present you could probably um, you know, throw a dart at himself, John Rahm, or uh, or Brooks Kepper. Brooks, of course, winning the most recent men's major. John Rahm having previously won um a West Coast US Open. So, like, I think you know, there's it could be any of the three. Uh, Scotty happens to be on top, which just suits my narrative better. Uh, but I don't believe he'll win, and I'll tell you why. I think two reasons. What I flagged earlier in the sense that traditional data points I don't think translate well to the LA Country Club. So there's no doubt that from a Teddy Green perspective, he is miles ahead of any other player at present. In fact, I stumbled across a stat from, uh, I was about to call him my good friend. I think we would be if we met. He just doesn't know it. That's Kyle Porter. <laughs> He's one of the best, uh, best followers on golf Twitter. In my humble opinion, um, Top 10 players, Teeter Green, over the last 30 rounds. Uh, 
a minimum of 10 they would have had to have played to be measured. Um, there's names in there like Pat Cantlay, he's second, 2.2 strokes gained, Xander 2.1, John Rum 2 flat, Rory 1.9, Hovland 1.9, Morikawa 1.8, Finau 1.7, Woodland 1.6. Russell Henley is a surprise inclusion in the top 10 there of strokes gained T to green in their last 30 rounds at 1.5. But a clear leader, in fact, he's 1.2 strokes clear a second let alone the remainder of the field. Scotty Scheffler is 3.4 strokes gained tee to green in his last 30 rounds heading into the US Open, which you'd say, you're mad, Marshy. What are you doing? Are you insane? Well, as I've previously stated, Scotty's going to have to hit shots here. But this isn't, this isn't a course that he finds week in, week out. It's not the cookie-cutter PGA Tour bomb and gouge. He's going to have to hit shots here he doesn't usually have to hit. And he's going to have to approach the green in a manner he doesn't usually approach the green. It's going to be above his feet. It's going to be below his feet. It's going to be, you know, it might overrun the green into not rough for the wedge, but in fact, there's runoff areas with quite short grass. It's going to ask difficult questions to chip back from. All of that combined with the fact his putter is in a wilderness at the moment. So the reason why he's still in tournaments is because his approach game is so strong and he puts himself within a chance, even though he can't putt the backside of a barn at the moment, it gives himself a chance. Given the unique nature of this course, and yes, you mentioned putting isn't necessarily the most important part, but there's some funky green complexes in this mm. joint as well. Mm. If you get yourself into bad positions on the green, you could find yourself in a lot of trouble real early in this tournament. So I just think, his putter's too far away in this tournament. If it was a regular course measured by regular standards, he'd be well within his rights to to be a chance. But I just think the questions he's going to be asked from the fairway combined with the lack of confidence with the flat stick at the moment, I do not think Scotty Scheffler is in a position to win this tournament. All fair. All very fair. And very short as well at 750 if you ask me. Personally, I think that's far too short. I think um, I I don't want to get ahead of um, any tips here, but you mentioned John Rahm there. I'll give it away now that Rahm doesn't feature in any of my my tips, but I'm just very wary of John Rahm. I'm just really wary of John Rahm. He should be. You know, because he's very good at creating shots. So I'm just very wary. Um. Okay, my won't win. Rory McIlroy. Just too much going on. Just too much going on. As much as I'd love to see it and and I think potentially statistically could could mount some some of a – probably a decent case for it, I just think there might be too much going on with Rory, Um, particularly, you know, the role that he's having to play at the minute. Um, Where I do think this course – can suit Rory is his ability to shape and create shots. He's very inventive in the way that he plays. So that might suit him well. So I'm going to have Rory to not win at $13. I would argue again that I could have taken Patrick Cantlay at 17, who is on the fourth line of betting. And that's a very easy, easy one for me. So yeah, I'll, I'll have Rory here. I know that um, there's a lot of people who are saying that this whole situation might actually suit him and free him up a little bit. But um, yeah, I'm just, just uh, think that, that it might be too much at this point in time. So Rory for me. Was going to be my question. You're not of the opinion that 
the events of the last week in some respects are liberating and that he may in fact feel freed or worse still uh, a little a little bit of fuck you a little bit of, I'm going to go and win this despite all of what's happened let me just lay something on you lowest Maybe. scoring Maybe. averages lowest scoring averages in men's majors since the start of 2020 a minimum of 30 rounds Scotty Scheffler, 69.93 after 46 rounds. John Rahm, 70.38 after 52 rounds. Rory McIlroy, 70.44 after 48 rounds. So Rory, the second most amount of rounds played in majors since the start of 2020. He's the third best scoring average, but the gap between he and the best in in Scheffler is literally 0.5 of a stroke. Yeah, and as I say, I think statistically this could potentially... Well, it, it sounds like it does line up really well for him, but I'm just think that perhaps everything that's going on, and I know it's liberating in a way, but he's still the spokesperson for the players, right? At the minute, he's still the one out there fighting the bullets. His his press conference was hugely tuned into last week, and I can guarantee that any media that he does this week, there's going to be questions about the merger and stuff that's going on when all he wants to do is go out and play. There was an article today that said, that him and Justin Rose said, we're not chatting on the course in our practice round. They just went out and, and played and said, we'll chat after. So, yeah, I'm I'm happy to take Rory at 13. I mean, I'd love to see him win it, but I'll uh, I'll take Rory at 13. Um, I'll hand back to you. We normally go will win, but go want to win here. Give me who's, who, you, who you're rooting for. Yeah. This was, um, this was difficult. Mm-hmm. In the sense that, uh, I kind of found uh, if I put Scotty Sheffield to one side, as won't win. I kind of found, and obviously my Ruffy at the other end of the spectrum because I don't believe they're winning, but I think they're good value. I found the other two questions of will and want. Like there's probably a list of four to five players considered and easily transferable between both categories. Mm-hmm. So this was this was difficult for mine, to be honest. Um and and maybe the closest I've been to a player who could comfortably sit in the will as opposed to the want. But ultimately I'm gonna go uh I'm gonna go with with John Rahm, which is a little bit of a cop out eager listeners of this podcast would suggest given he was my want to win at the last major. Uh, If you recall, he obviously breaks through at the Masters. It's his his second major of his career. We go to Oak Hill. I think it sets up really well for him. I suggest that in terms of his legacy, in terms of the momentum of going back to back, of elevating himself into a three major category, of where it places him, um, not just from a Spanish golfer's perspective, like he genuinely enters the conversation to rival Seve as the greatest Spanish golfer of all time, but it elevates him in the European conversation as well. And I think he's worthy of that. Um, none of those reasons have changed for me. I just, just think, uh, I also think this this probably plays more into the will than the want, but he'll be disappointed with the way in which he has played since Augusta, particularly in the PGA Championship at Oak Hill. He was, he was, very disappointing, and nobody be nobody will be more acutely aware or disappointed then 
the man himself. Mm. So he remains one of my favorite players. Um, I also don't know about you. I I, I say this um, firmly without my tongue in my cheek. When when I look at this, I I feel an obligation. There's plenty of people who I could say I want to win who just simply won't. Mm. So there's also an element of like, I want to be realistic. Because mm-hmm. I could sit here and say to you that I want Jordan Spieth to win. Yeah. I could sit here and say to you that I want Cameron Smith to win. I could even sit here and say to you that I want Ricky Fowler to win. Yeah. Because there's an, a part of me that would love to see Slick Dick Rick compete. Mm-hmm. And I actually do think parts of this course play well to Ricky Fowler. But ultimately, when I'm putting these tips down, there's got to be an element of, I think, plausibility Yes, uh, around my want to win. And I, I genuinely believe that John Rahm is there. Um, for the reasons that I outlined before and the scoring average, he's got the best, sorry, second best behind Scotty Sheffield scoring average of um, men's majors since the beginning of 2020. He's also, um, of all players, the longest current streak of making the cut in major championships, having made 15 in a row. Uh, so you know he's going to be there on the weekend. Uh, and he could become only the second player alongside Tiger Woods to win more than one major in California if he gets the job done this weekend. So, look, there's many things surrounding uh, John, mm. uh, not to, not least of which is my my love for him as a, as a player and seemingly as a person away from the course. So I would I would really like to see John Rahm uh, win this tournament, Trudes. As would I. Um and I'm wary of him, as I said. <laughs> yes. I'm wary of him. I just think that, you know, he strikes the ball so well, he'll be able to compete with the distance that's going to be required. I think he's putting strong. I think he's a genuinely good chance to win this. He isn't my my, my pick to win, but I think he has a very, very good chance. And, I, and to be honest, I'm actually a little intrigued as to why he's not favorite for this tournament. So... Um, I love it. I love the pick. I've gone along similar lines. Um, I, I agree with you that I think we need to have some sense of realism about who's actually in the ballpark to win this event. So mine's a little different. I've gone for a player who uh, I want to see elevate their game in the majors, um, and I would like to see them win their first major. So for that reason, I've gone Victor Hovland here. We've spoken about how his form's been good so far at the last handful of majors he's been competing, and now it's time to step up and and win a tournament. Uh, sorry, win a win a major tournament. So I don't. I think there are parts of this course that are going to scare Victor Hovland in a lot of ways. His his the short game, particularly if he's required around the greens to scramble is is that doesn't fill me with a lot of hope but he's striking the ball arguably as anyone as good as anyone on the tour has distance in spades um and again like we said um just last week when he won that if he can produce something half decent with the flat stick he's going to be at the top of the leaderboard. So I will have Victor Hovland as my want to win. So, uh, spoiler, mm. uh, and, and we may as well continue the conversation because he is my pick to win. Okay, great. So, uh, and, and and I want to 
put some additional context around that after I tell you why I think you'll win. Mm-hmm. Let me let me lay a stat on you that was probably the deciding factor for me. Mm-hmm. And as a data-driven man, you'll tell me I'm absurd and ridiculous and too emotional and superstitious. Uh, but 17, Druids, mm-hmm. 17 of the past 23 US Open winners have, in fact, won their first major. Right. Good to know. In entering that conversation. So automatically, if you believe in that sort of thing, you've disqualified a whole bunch of people from winning this tournament. <laughs> automatically. But just bear that in mind going in that 17 of the past 23 US Open winners have won their first major in winning that US Open. Mm. So there's a trend and there's a form line. I think if you look at he is the best performing player in the last three majors. So uh, per Justin Ray, 27 under in the last three majors contested, seven shots better than any other player across that span. He's gaining 0.57 strokes around the green per round in that span, which flies in the face of his chipping woes. He's the eighth best player on that measure. Uh, He's found something, I think, with the putter. And he's just, like, we had this conversation with him when he won the Memorial. Like, he's genuinely, forget about world rankings, he's genuinely probably the third best player in the world at the moment. Mm. I'd only put, this is hard, and it's, again, it's based on what we see week in, week out. But I'd only put, at present, Scheffler and Rahm ahead of him. Maybe Brooks on, on par, but that's, again, that's purely based on what I saw at the Masters and the PGA. I think as well, like, the Masters, he was in the conversation to the back nine, PJ Championship, he was in the conversation through 70 holes. You know, he ejected himself with a double on 16 on Sunday. He's been right there. So th- this is not a quantum leap to get to being mm. the person lifting a trophy at the end of Sunday. Yeah. I I, th- I think it is time, absolutely, for him to, um, for him to step up. And, and, and I do get the sense that I know I keep coming back to the course, but I think it may be a, 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 a significant contributing factor to why he can separate himself. Because if we were just going back to another, you know, question of length or your ability to gouge out of long rough, or mm. then that brings him back to the field. That yep. elevates players like Kepka, Rahm, McElroy, you know. Yep. But it's, it's asking a different question. And a question that I think he he has been answering a bit of late, albeit in different ways, through his numbers um, in the last probably eight months. So I think Agreed. I think he's there. I think he's there. Who who will win the tournament for you? Well, as I said, past performance, future indicator, you know, whatever that saying was, is not an indicator of future performance. I think this time I'm going to dip back in the well here on this one and go for a guy who went 4-0 and at this course at the 2017 Walker Cup, and that's Colin Morikawa. Um, I'm, okay. Given that we haven't seen this course at all in, in our lifetime, Marshy, um, I'm going to 
go with a guy who's actually played here and played incredibly well. Now, whether the Walker Cup is a good yardstick to measure by, I don't know. But I'm going to take um, the same formula that allowed me to pick Matt Fitzpa- Matty Fitzpatrick to win this tournament last year um, at a guy who did very well at Brookline and won previously at Brookline. I'm going to do the same and um, follow Colin Morikawa here. Ball striking, excellent. The fact that putting isn't necessarily the the be-all and end-all here is something that I think is in his favour. Um, and if he's able to produce just a skerrick of um, what he can do with the flat stick, then I think he'll be right up the top of the leaderboard. So um, at $31, I think it's exceptional value too, by the way. There's some players ahead of him that I'm not sure should be. So I will um, have um, Colin Morikawa to win this. Um, California kid, that all helps. That that all feeds into the narrative. Um, and yeah, it'll buck that trend of, as you said, players winning their first major at the US Open. So Morikawa. He also, I mentioned uh, John Rahm can joined Tiger Woods as the only other player to have won two West Coast majors. Colin yep. Markow could also complete True. that feat should he win. Uh, I just, I hope so for his sake because I, 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 I mean, I feel like I've been having the conversation for a while. You, you remain a believer. Um, and I'm probably being overly harsh on a guy that's won two majors by his mid twenties. Mm. But, uh, yeah, I got some questions. I was I was shocked the other day to stumble across the official world golf rankings. Put as much credence into those as what you, as you will, but he currently sits eighteenth mm. on that list, mm-hmm. which is phenomenal for yeah. mine. He he's not been relevant in majors for a little while. It's not really been relevant weekend that. Week in, week out on the PJ Tour for a little while. So, yeah, I, I mean, I hope so because the game's more entertaining when he's striking the ball at his best. But, yeah, I think I put him on a little bit of a watch a while ago and I've not necessarily seen anything that would make me think otherwise. So, we'll see. I, I think I think, I think your, your, your rationale is sound mm. because of the fact that this is a – rarely played course for a lot of these guys in the field. So yep. it's, it's sound rationale. It did lead you to last year's champion. So play on. Can I just say before we get to our roughie, mm. um, <laughs> neither of us have mentioned a guy by the name of Brooks, Brooks Kepka. Kepka. Mm. And uh, look, I just think it's worth mentioning because I feel as though we do this, we do this every time. Mm. Um, in, in our review of the PGA Championship, we both have the agreement that he's he is the best player of the modern era because majors are what you are measured by, and he won his fifth mm. um, at the most recent major. Let me just rattle off a couple of things um, for you. Most rounds led or co-led in majors since 2017. Brooks Kepka 18 times he's led or co-led a round in a major since 2017. The next closest is Dustin Johnson at eight. Louis Oosthuizen at seven, Jordan Spieth at six, and Kevin Kisner, surprisingly, at six. So there's that. Um, there's also, I stumbled across this uh, just the other day, um, 
Starting with his 2017 US Open victory at Aaron Hills, Brooks Kepka has finished either first or second in nine of the last 22 majors in which he's competed. That's a success rate of 41% for a top two finish for Brooks Kepka. I just think it's worth flagging mm. because <laughs> bookmark this. If on Monday night, Brooks Kepka is the champion, we should not be surprised and we should again put our hands up and say, why on earth did we not pick the man to win the major? Yep, I totally agree. I mean, we said that we wouldn't uh, wouldn't ignore him again, but um, I think to win two in the one year is very, very difficult. Um, mm. It wouldn't surprise me. It certainly wouldn't surprise me if he did win. Um, it's just so hard to know what the uh, form line kind of looks like for um, the guys who we're not seeing week in, week out. I'm just trying to find who the last player was to win two majors in a year and it might have actually it, it was brooks himself back in 2018 <laughs> so yes. that's you know and and again that was the pga championship and and the us open so maybe maybe who knows he um he adds to to the uh to the title uh, list again this this week at la i don't know though i i, it's, I we would we would look awfully stupid if we didn't mention him so i'm, I'm glad you brought that up uh who's your roughie so I just want a few honourable mentions, okay? Before I uh, <laughs> before I get to my actual roughy at either end of the spectrum, I think in terms of the too long um, spectrum, it'd be remiss of me not to mention uh, uh, the gentleman who I believe will be the, the highest finishing Australian, Cameron Davis, is currently paying one hundred and fifty one dollars. So, in terms of make the cut or even a top twenty, mm. thanks very much for coming. Um. And then in terms of probably too short, but just some players I think we we should mention. So Max Homer's at $29. Max Homer, as I said, owns the course record, the North Course, the LA Country Club, is 61. He shot back in 2013. Um, there's also a stat that I stumbled across the other day. Um, from six... PGA Tour events in California, the most top 10 finishes since the start of 2021-2022. Max Homer leads the way with five top 10 finishes, ahead of Rahm with four, Cantlay, Jason Day and Mad McNeely, Will Zalatoris, Heath Gala with three, as well as Colin Morikawa with three. Loves playing at home. Absolutely mm. loves. He's won a Genesis or LA Open on one of George Thomas's other courses in Riviera. Uh, there's just a couple of things there mm -hmm. for the uh, homegrown lad. Obviously, he's way too short for a roughie mm. at 29, but I think he's worth consideration. Um, also at 29, Tyrrell Hatton. Yes. Blokes playing out of his skin at present. Genuinely out of his skin. Anytime you can sit alone with John Rahm in a stat, is worth celebrating. And I stumbled across that the other day. Players ranked in the top 20 this season on PGA Tour in strokes gained off the tee, approach, and putting. There's only two, John Rahm and Tyrrell Hatton. <laughs> so put that in your black book. I also think the defending champion, no one's given that bloke a lick of attention at yep. $31, but this is a course that sets up well for Matt Fitzpatrick. And the only other honorable mention I want to make is Tommy Fleetwood. At 34, yep. coming off a, a playoff loss at the Canadian Open, 
And again, a course that I think from a major perspective brings Tommy, or at least I shouldn't say brings Tommy back to the field, brings the field back to Tommy. Uh, so I think he's, you know, maybe worth a little bit of investment at 34. None of those are my roughy. Okay. My roughy is a, men- a gentleman I just mentioned in a stat before, which is poor setup work for me. Sure. But he's cu- currently paying $96. And that is Sahith Thagala. Okay. So I like Sahith. A couple of top tens, as I mentioned, in Californian PGA Tour events. Three, in fact, in his last six starts there across 2021-2022. Good all-round player. Power, control, accuracy. I think it'll be a matter of whether or not the putter's there. But I think this is the type of setup that suits him to the ground, to be honest, to stand up and perform in a major. He's not super long, doesn't have to be here. I think it's about minimizing the gap between floor and ceiling. So Heath, I think, is in terms of players, you know, close to three figures at $96. I think he genuinely believes that Heath Gale will finish in the top 10 this week. So that's worth money alone in my mind at $96. Gamble responsibly. I like it. Um, all right, so my honourable mentions, um, just two guys that I'm always nervy of at majors, particularly here where length may be of a significant advantage given that it is so wide. You know, there's a lot of holes here where you can actually blow your drive onto other holes for better angles. For that reason, guys like Bryson and Dustin Johnson really just just got a little asterisk next to them. Keep an eye on Similarly, Tony Finau. Um, I said Minwoo is going to be the lowest Australian. He's currently 111. Um, so I will uh, also add him to my little book here. A guy who won, who's won at Riviera recently too, um, who very poor of us not to mention at $67 is Adam Scott, who won at mm. Riviera not too long ago. Don't know whether he's going to get the... The, the chockies this week. I've gone a little bit shorter than your 96. So thank you for, for going for the genuine value. But um, Ricky Fowler, I think is a genuine shot to be not, not maybe top five, but I think top 10 material, all the form lines are trending in the right direction for Ricky. Um, striking the ball. Well, again, putting was always the thing that certainly improved, but it's not the biggest issue here. So I'm going to have, I'll have Ricky Fowler at 41 for my, uh, Ruffy, um, for this one. I mean, there's so many guys here that I could absolutely make a case for. But I mean, Brian Harmon, 201 to one. I always give out your punter Harmon. Um, but there's a lot of guys here that I could could give you. Even my last Ruffy, uh, the last major, Adrian Moronks at 251, and and probably um, ended up somewhere around that mark anyway. So I will have Ricky Fowler as my final tip. So two things I want to say to you about Ricky Fowler. I love that. Well, three things. I love that because I love Rick. I love that because he was, if you remember, in fact, my roughie for the PGA Championship. So consecutive yep. majors, uh, he's been nominated as a roughie out of the 19th Tee podcast. And I love that just because the form he's in. So Ricky Fowler finished in the top 10 in all four major championships in 2014. Mm-hmm. Um, since 1970. He's the only player to have done that in a season and not won a major championship at any point in his career. It's a weird thing to tell me, Marshy. Why would you tell me that? I tell you that because 
where he's at now, in my mind, is as good as he's been playing since that portion of his career. So 2014, kind of, that's probably, that's really probably peak Rick. And he's top 10 in all four major championships that year. The reason why I believe, not just anecdotally, not just the eye test, not just watching it, have listened to a few of these numbers. This is comparatively 2022 to 2023. Strokes gained approach, he was 150th. He's seventh this year. Strokes game putting, he was 161st. He's 49th. Greens in reg, 186th. He's 31st. Scoring average, 111th. He's 10th. Birdie average, 162nd. He's 15th. Strokes gained T to green. He was 101st last year. He's 12th so far this year. The game is there, Droots. It's it is. absolutely there. So yeah. I, I love that. It's not, hey, it's not $96, but it's not nothing either. <laughs> That's exactly right. It's exactly right. Be a popular win. Um, briefly to finish off, I think it'd be worthwhile flagging a couple of groupings uh, through the first two days. This is actually not something we ever really do, but I kind of looked at it today as like, why? I think this is just a good thing for people to be aware of going into the tournament. Um, you know, this is objective because everyone has their different favorite players. But for mine, some groupings that stand out: uh, Shane Lowry, Justin Thomas, Tommy Fleetwood. That will be an interesting grouping for mine. Um, Scotty gets Gary Woodland, previous champion, and Corey Connors, President's Cup teammate. Uh, not much to talk about there because Corey didn't really contribute. Um, Colin Morikow, Max Homer, Scotty Scheffler will be a good group. Uh, going down the list, uh, Cameron Smith gets the defending champion, Matt Fitzpatrick, and Sam Bennett, of course, the amateur who uh, played incredibly well, the high-finishing amateur at Augusta National earlier this year. Brooks Kepka, Hideki Matsuyama, Rory McIlroy is a great group. Drewster, uh, I'm just scrolling down now. There was one or two others that I had picked out. Uh, Phil Mickelson is playing alongside Podrick Harrington and Keegan Bradley. Tony Finau, Jordan Spieth, Patrick Cantlay. Not sure what Tony Finau and Jordan have done to deserve that. Be a five and a half hour round. Minwoo Lee gets Davis Thompson and Justin Saar. Uh, and that is probably the only ones I felt like pulling out. Uh, uh, yeah, there's not too many else. Justin Rose, Ricky Fowler, Jason Day. That's that's a good group, actually. Yes. That's a good group. So just some interesting groupings there. Uh, oh, actually, Bryson DeChambeau, Francesco Molinari, Tyrrell Hutton. Imagine the conversation between Bryson and Tyrone <laughs> for 36 holes across two days. That will be fascinating. <laughs> I love it. Good addition to just the some uh, thoughts. Good, just no, some no, thoughts they're, they're, to they're end with. They're good. They're good. They're good additions to the um to these previews. I think actually because you often get some pretty interesting groupings. Well, Trent, that'll do us. Mm. Uh, I think it'll be, as I said, like I'm, I'm, I'm as excited for this tournament as I've been for a men's major in some time. Of the firm belief that we'll look back on the course itself as the real winner on Monday night, but we will also have plenty of action to review. Enjoy. Uh, stay tuned for our takes, as we always do. We do daily takes across the Instagram channel, and make sure if you haven't already done so to enter the competition, your chance to win a pair of Oakley Sunnies and a box of Callaway Balls. You just need to nominate who you think will be the highest finishing Australian. Uh, their score, closest to without going over. Tag a friend as well as 
the good folk at Oakley Australia on Instagram. For your chance to go in the draw, we will announce our winner as part of our review show. Recorded Monday evening in your ears early next week. Enjoy, Drew's the 123rd US Open for the Los Angeles Country Club. Stay safe. Hit them straight. <laughs>